when they say God is able, he is able. It's like, do you trust him to even perform a miracle in your life? Will you trust him with your child? Will you trust him with your own life? Will you trust him when it looks dark because it looked dark for us time after time? Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you a story from Jackson, Mississippi, and we're thrilled. This is their first story in quite a while. Just from all the breaks of COVID, you've probably noticed from our live (laughs) gatherings, we just do the best we can Mm -hmm. to have them. And today is Latasha Stamps, and we know that you are really going to enjoy it. I know, and I love that her story follows Susanna's story from last week, which if you heard Susanna's story, it was about being a perfect match with a kidney donation. And let me tell you, I mean, the thing about Latasha's story is it just reiterates that God is in the business of performing miracles. Don't listen to those doctors because he knows so much more. He's the great physician. And she reminds us of that. And she reminds us of of his faithfulness. You're going to love her story. Before Latasha's story, we want to remind you, if you're in the Birmingham area, to join us on April the 20th at Vestavia Country Club to hear the powerful story of Lauren Sisler. She has an incredible story you do not want to miss. This is actually a fundraising event for our ministry as we get ready to launch another Bible study, When God Shows Up, Discovering God and Stories of Freedom. So click the link below in our show notes, buy a ticket, they're $25, you get a really nice lunch, and we'll have a great time on April the 20th. Here's Latasha. Hello, everyone. My name is Latasha. Um, My last name is Stamps. My husband should really be here to tell this story with me because... He's a much better speaker than I am. But Kimberly was saying there would be mostly women here, so telling my story would help or even give hope to others. I know sometimes faith is a big deal to me. Faith has always been a big deal to me and my family. And sometimes people lose their faith. So many reasons why we lose faith. We have a loved one that gets sick and they don't really recover the way we think they should, so we lose faith. Um, We get in a bad financial situation, so we lose faith. So this story is really about faith, faith in God. It is a story about our son, our oldest son. I guess a little bit of background about me. So I grew up Pentecostal. My mom and my grandmother, they were praying, Bible thumping, shouting, speaking in tongues. That's how we grew up. So we were in church all the time. We went to choir practice. We were in kids' choir, adult choir. We went to Bible study. We were at church probably five of seven days a week. Um, We had revival every week. So growing up to me, God was just like, he was the one you go to for everything. So I guess sometimes it's easy for us to trust God when we don't have a situation that might be pressing. So like growing up, life, whenever I needed something, my mom would say, well, pray and you could get it. So to me as a kid, my faith grew almost immediately because every time I prayed, and I don't know if it was my mom just making things come through so my faith would be strong, (laughs) but every time I prayed, like I remember when I was like maybe 10 or 11, I prayed to go to this gospel concert and my mom was like, I'm not paying that money, you better pray. So I prayed and guess what? Somehow I got the money and I was able to go to the concert. So to me, prayer and faith was just like a thing. So I've always trusted God when I felt like I didn't have something, I trusted him. He would come through even as I got older and my mom wasn't there. So then as when I went off to college and I met my husband, he was different. He grew up Baptist and even growing up Baptist, I shouldn't say 
he didn't have faith, but it, his faith was a little bit different from mine. So when we got together, whenever there was something, he would say, well, Tasha, maybe you should pray. That was a big thing for him. So when we found out we were pregnant, we had Christopher. We were just in love to have a little boy. Um, my husband was so happy that he was a boy instead of a girl. I know that sounds yeah. bad, but he was like, yes. So um, we had our son. We get home and then they call us like a few days later after we're at home to say it's the health department, you know, something's wrong. And we're like, wait a minute, why would the health department be calling us? So we were afraid because they don't want to tell you anything over the phone. So the social worker, well, it doesn't matter that my husband called back and was like, you're going to tell us something right now. So by the time they came out, we knew it was sickle cell. So we started researching. We were just... At the time, we felt like the only option was a transplant, but for him to actually get a transplant, so much had to go wrong. So we were afraid. We were like, well, we don't want all this to happen to him before he would even be eligible for a transplant. So when she came over, she didn't know as much information as we knew the hours later because we had been researching for three or four hours until the social worker came. She told us about it. I cried the entire time. My husband, Chris, was just like, okay. He was asking the questions, and I was just crying. I was like, Lord, like I felt like I've been faithful my entire life. I pay my tithes. I've always done everything right. Like, Why is this happening to me? Like, why is this happening to my baby? This little, you give me this little perfect boy. And then now he's sick and is telling me his life expectancy would probably be in his 30s, maybe. And it was just scary if he made it to his 30s. So we start the process we go through. We start our appointments. And I'm not going to talk about anything too much in detail. But I want to tell you the first time he got sick, he was six months old and he got a fever. And we were, um, I took him to his doctor and she was like, oh, it's just a fever. He has a cold. He's fine. So I take him home. And when I get home, he's not responsive. He's like totally not responding to me. So I'm like, Chris, get up, get up. He doesn't wake up. It's pouring rain. I jump in the car and I run back to the hospital where I gave birth because I'm thinking they would be able to help him. They're like, no, ma'am, we don't have a pediatric unit. So I'm like running around in the pouring rain, shaking my baby in the back like, Chris, wake up, wake up, wake up. He won't wake up. I go to St. Dominic's because it's the closest. They don't accept children. And finally, I make it to UMMC. And we don't even, I just park, I jump out, we run in, and they take him to the back. And at the time, Chris was in school in Nashville, so he wasn't here. It was just me. And I walk in and they take him from me, they take him to the back and they start talking about he needs this and this. And I'm so confused. My family's from South Carolina. I don't have anybody here. It's just me. So I'm like, what? What do you mean a blood transfusion? What is a blood transfusion? Can they do it like right now? And they were like, yes, don't worry. They were sticking him trying to get his IV started. He was screaming. And remember, he's just six months old. So it was just scary. That was like the first scary even though it'd be so many more that would come up. But that was the first time I was afraid. And I remember stopping to pray, like, Lord, like, what is this again? And what I didn't tell you was that when I called my mom to tell her he had sickle cell, she was like, oh, that's nothing. She was like, he'll be fine. And to me, I was like, what do you mean he'll be fine? You must not know what it is. And she was like, yeah, I know what it is. Your cousin had sickle cell. And she started talking about it. But she said, I'm going to tell you this, and you need to remember this. She was like, Take this scripture everywhere you go. No weapon formed against Christopher shall prosper. 
And so when he got sick and they took him to the back and they separated us, which was the hardest part, that's what I was saying. I was repeating it over and over. I was like, no weapon formed against him shall prosper. No weapon formed against my baby shall prosper. And so they finally let me in the back. They give him his first blood transfusion. And being me, I didn't know what it was. So I thought it was like the worst thing. But I found out they just started IV, give him some blood, and he perks right up. Who knew from what I saw? turned into a baby that could cry again because he wasn't even crying by the time we got there. He was just laid out. So that's the beginning. So now we start real appointments at the cancer clinic, the sickle cell clinic. And believe it or not, Katie was one of our nurses there. She took care of us like, yeah, I don't know when you're, and you might know because you, you've all had a story to tell. When it's your child, you have to be a certain way. And we were always like, wait a minute, are you sure? We're not doing this unless you're sure. We're not, that's how we were. So thank you, I just want to say that <laughs> again. Um, but at this time we were put in, and for you all who don't know what sickle cell is, um, sickle cell is a blood disorder and it affects your red blood cells. And instead of your red blood cells being round, circular, and move through your system smoothly, they're weird shaped and they get stuck everywhere. Like they get stuck in your joints or, uh, in your brain, which is what happened to Chris at one point. And they can cause stroke, pain episodes where it's just kind of like blood's not really flowing. And it's just a disease that's, it really cuts their life expectancy down tremendously. And they experience a lot of pain throughout their lives. Um, we didn't experience pain. Our story was a, um, he was very anemic because his sickle cells were like, reproducing so much faster than his normal blood cells, he was always anemic. So we move on and every time he gets sick, we're in the hospital, that's just it. So we head to South Carolina to go visit my family. We'd never gone because we were always afraid because his immune system was so just low. We would go somewhere, he would get sick and we'd be stuck. So we go, we're careful. It's the first Christmas we're at home. And guess what? Two days after his birthday, he gets sick. And in getting sick, we end up in the hospital in Charleston, South Carolina. It took us like 45 minutes to get there. We get there and we're there for two weeks. But at the end of his stay, I noticed that his hand is limp as we're leaving. And they're like, he's fine. He's fine. I was like, no, I don't think he's fine. They're like, yeah, he's fine. Left hand. And at the time, Chris was left handed. So he couldn't pick up anything to write or color. And they were like, oh, he's fine. So we leave. And I wouldn't leave until I saw the attending. And she told us the same thing was right. So Chris had already left to go back to work. So I had to drive 10 hours back when we got back to Jackson to the children's uh, cancer clinic, which we love and everybody there. They found out he'd had a stroke. So we drove all the way from South Carolina, 10 hours with a baby. I did that it had a stroke that was not diagnosed in the hospital he'd been staying at for two weeks. So we get there and we start this regimen of uh, chronic transfusions. He has a blood transfusion every three weeks, no matter what, because they can't allow his sickle cell blood cells to get at a certain level. I think he was staying around 80%, which was too high. So we start that. We go in to put in a port. And in this, when you hear um, that the Bible verse, no weapon formed, to me, even though a stroke had happened, it was still no weapon formed, even though it had been a stroke. And then we go in and we go to get fitted for a port because he has to have a transfusion so often. And guess what happens then? The port doesn't work. He start, his heart rate starts going really crazy 
every day. Like we're in the hospital, we end up in ICU. It's like, all right, so even though we're having this heart problem, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And then with the transfusions over the years, just to even cut that short, he couldn't keep the port and we started to get in something called iron overload. So whenever you get blood from, like if you give blood to me, my body can't get rid of your iron. Like, of course you're saving my life, I need it, but for some reason it can't break down your iron. So he had to start taking medication for that to help him get rid of some of the iron. We even started overnight, I had to put in um, some medications through his stomach every night. That would run for, I think, 12 hours. He would take pills during the day. He was like a little old man, like on every pill you could imagine trying to keep him healthy. And at this time, he's like three, maybe four. We spend three weekends, three hospital stays a month. Sometimes if we were lucky, one. We were just in the hospital all the time. It was, I guess, when we talk about faith, when I said faith, it would really like test your faith, almost asking God, like, why would you do this to a little boy? Like, and But you could see God in it. He would get really weak and tired. He'd have the blood transfusion. He would perk up. He would be fine. So the people that were having the biggest issue with faith were his parents, not him. Like, God was doing his job. He was keeping him safe, protecting him. When something would go wrong, he would bounce back. So we go in. We've been doing this for years. They're telling us now we need a transplant. Like, we have to have one. He's at the point where if we go much longer, because there's so much iron in his body, it's starting to poison his organs. So we went from stroke to transfusions to now the blood that we're getting is now poisoning his body. So we were like, man, we can't win uh, for losing here. Like every time we feel like we've crossed one hurdle, here it is, it's something else. So we started looking into options for transplant. So to have a transplant, though, you have to like die first before they would even put you on the transplant list. So he had to have the stroke, which guess what happened? He had a stroke. He had to have, there were a couple of other things that he had to have, and he hit everything. All of a sudden, he was only three, and he'd hit everything. So we were like, okay, let's do it. Then the problem was, hmm, in your community, very many people, they don't give bone marrow. So in the African-American community, people don't give bone marrow, so it would be really hard to find him a match. So the next option we have is, you know what? Let's try in vitro. Let's try to make this perfect baby that would be a match for Chris so we could get him a transplant. And that's what we did. We went through in vitro and we were just starting out really. And we spent everything we had on it because we had to have a certain kind where after they fertilize the egg, they go in to check to make sure the baby's a match and the baby does not have sickle cell. So we did all that. We were excited and we didn't get pregnant. So it like knocked the wind out of us. We were like, what the world? And then the doctors were saying, they were like, well, there's a very slim chance you could actually have a baby that did not have sickle cell that would actually be a match for him. It's like a one in four chance for each thing. So we were like, you know what? So I sat down with my husband and had a faith talk with him. I was like, Chris, I know for you, faith has been something hard. And he would get more frustrated than I was. I would because I knew what the end result would be. You know, it said no weapon formed against Chris shall prosper. So I knew he would be healed. And I just kept that in my heart, 
no matter what, when I would pray at night, that's what I always said. When he would get sick, that's what I always said. And then when you think about the scripture, I think it's in Hebrews where it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We couldn't see the outcome. We were just thinking, this is getting worse by the moment. So it was hard for us to see that there was an outcome where he would you know, be successful. He wouldn't be as sick. And anyway, we go through all of that. We sit down, we pray, and we start like reading our Bible together, praying together. It actually brought us closer as a husband and wife. Like our it, our relationship with God grew during this time. Um, just knowing that he loved us no matter what. He would always provide for us no matter what. But I think sometimes when we get in a dark place, we think God has let us down. And that's where I think we got for a little while. We were thinking, man, did you forget us? Did you forget about our baby? You, you know, it always, my mom says, you stand on your word. Like we know your word is true. But, and when I got to the point where I was thinking, my mom says, I had stepped away from trusting and believing God myself. And we started praying together, kind of having Bible study on our own. And in the end, we were like, you know what, let's try for a baby ourselves and just let's see what happens. So we were telling our doctors we were just going to try. And they were like, to tell you the truth, the chance is really small. Like, even if he's a match, he will probably have sickle cell. So we were like, we don't want another baby with sickle cell. You know, that was scary. But I was like, you know what? Sometimes you have to trust him. And I kept hearing, trust me, like, trust my word. So we got pregnant. We went in. They were like, yay. But, you know, kind of like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, you're excited, but we don't know. So we went through it. We uh, went through. We saved his cord blood just on our own. They offered the amniocentesis, but I didn't want to take it because it increased the risk of um, miscarriage. So I was like, no, I'm not doing that. If God's, if I know one thing, he's faithful. And if he said he would heal him, he would heal him. So we went through it. We get to this appointment. We're like, Lord, please, you know, don't let us down. We've been trusting you. And guess what? Cameron is a match for Christopher. Who would have thought, you know, um, he's a perfect match. He does not have sickle cell. It was like, thank you, Jesus. We may have jumped up and yelled, thank you, Jesus. We were with Dr. Rhodes, actually. She was the one that gave us the news. But then here's another hurdle, she said. So the problem is because Christopher is older, we don't have enough um, cord blood. That's what it was, not bone marrow, cord blood. And we were like, what? You know, we did what you said. And she was like, we don't have enough. So we had to wait until Cameron was one before he could give him marrow as well. So we go in and just think we've gone through this for so long. He's five. We've been in the hospital in and out for so long. We're just almost at the point of let's do this. So we go in and you have to sign all this paperwork saying that you agree to do this. So we go in and we're sitting with the doctors. My mother-in-law is there and my husband. And they're like, if this does not happen, it could be fatal. Now sign here. We're like, wait a minute. I'm not signing there if it's fatal. If this happens, it could be fatal. Sign here. So I said, wait a second. Let's step outside for a second. So we left out and we prayed. I was like, God, are we doing the right thing? Like, should we put him through a transplant? He's living. He's fine. He's sick, but he's recovering. Should we go through this? And we could possibly lose him during this transplant. And I don't know. We were outside praying. I think the child psychologist was in with Christopher because he had to be tested too to see if he could handle it. And we prayed, and I don't know if you've ever been in a bad situation and you prayed, and all of a sudden it was like a calming 
just all of a sudden a calm came over you like, you know, this is the right thing to do. And that's what we did. We went back in and signed all the paperwork, even though I was like, I'm, how I am now shaking, like, oh my gosh. Um, we signed it. We went in for our transplant and Katie's here, she can tell you. They said it was like the most textbook transplant they'd ever been a part of. We even went through a day of the wrong chemo. They gave him a full day of the wrong chemo. And they said we'd be there for six to 12 weeks. We were out in five weeks. Um, he didn't have one, one setback. He just went from one thing to the next to the next. So I guess in my story, what I want to tell is like, in the beginning, it looked so bad. Like it was like everything went wrong before it got better. But when we made it to actual transplant, where it was supposed to be the scariest, God like stepped in and it was like the most perfect transplant ever. We went home, we started the meds, you know how it is after transplant. But a year later, you couldn't tell that Chris had been a part of any of this. He was six and running around like you're a six-year-old if he's not sick. He was just, from that point forward, faith for us has been like a, we're like a faith family. Like if it looks like we don't have it, yeah, we, it, we don't have it, but I know it's coming to share our story, it would, the thing I would want you to take from it is that when they say God is able, he is able. It's like, do you trust him to even perform a miracle in your life? Will you trust him with your child? Will you trust him with your own life? Will you trust him when it looks dark because it looked dark for us time after time. And I remember being outside of the emergency room sometime crying when after, you know, just being pulled away from your child that's crying because they want you is just a feeling that I don't think any, any mom should have to, just like losing a child. Not one mother should have to go through that, but sometimes we do. Like during that pain, I guess that's where our faith grew. That's where we turned into, we're faith people. So... I don't know. I know through our struggle, no weapon formed against me shall prosper carried me. But it's my it's the story for me now. Like no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And it's the same for you. Like if you're going through something like if you really trust God, can a weapon that's formed against you really prosper? The answer to me is no, only because he's come through. And I know I, I think some people start to think that God doesn't even work miracles anymore. Like when I say I saw a miracle happen before us, like he is a miracle worker. And I was telling Katie even before, like right before Chris's transplant, a whole new team came in of doctors. And for some people, that's scary. But for us, it was the team that God sent there for us. Like they even changed this chemo up. They were like, they normally do this, but they gave us a different chemo regimen. So like sometimes when we, I guess, hit like the darkest place, God is there just to send people who would love on us and help us. And we were out of work for, my husband had to quit his job. He was coaching, a baseball coach at Jackson State. He had to quit his job for a year. And we didn't have any money saved, to just be honest. We'd spent everything because we'd been paying hospital bills from the beginning of time. So I went back to work after four months, but during a period from the time his transplant started to a year later when my husband could go back to work, we never went without. Like God provided the entire time. We didn't have to ask anyone. We didn't, people and just families poured into us. Like sometimes we lose hope, but during that time, hope was given to us. We never struggled. We never suffered another moment from that date. And I guess 
in closing, what I would want everyone to take away from this is have faith in God, trust him. And even when it looks bad, just think, because no weapon formed for us, a weapon was a stroke. You know what I'm saying? A weapon was iron overload. A weapon was when they were rushing them to the back and we couldn't go in. That was a weapon. A weapon was thinking we wouldn't be able to find a donor for him. That was a weapon. But faith was when we trusted God and guess what we found? A perfect match that we created on our own. And we didn't even create it. He was created by God. But he has a little brother that if he ever needs anything, he could transplant him for anything. He was a perfect match down to the blood type. That's how perfect he was. So I guess in all of it, like I said, our faith walk has grown tremendously and no weapon formed. That's what I would say, no matter what shall prosper. And that's against any of us in here, if you trust God. You know, at the beginning, I laughingly said, don't trust those doctors, listen to the great physician. And I do want to clarify that. I mean, you know, of course, doctors give us such wisdom and guidance, but I think sometimes we discount that we serve the great physician mm -hmm. and he is capable of performing miracles. I mean, I think last week's story with Susanna and this week's story proves to us that he is in the details. And I love that she even called her son a perfect match, just like Susanna called Martha a perfect match. Yes, yes. And I found myself, as I listened to Latasha, who I want to meet because yeah. I, I could just hear her sweet <laughs> yes. personality. Her sweet spirit. Um, but I found myself just going, Lord, give me an ounce of her faith. Yes. Just yes. an ounce of her faith. And when she said that she called her mom and her mom was like, that's not a problem. I know. He's got I it. it. I was like, let me be that mom yes. that pours mm -hmm. faith into my children. That's so good. And you know, it even reminds me a little bit of Mivy's story mm -hmm. a few episodes back of just eventually saying, Lord, I, I trust you in the miracle. Mm -hmm. And if it does not come to be and they are healed in heaven, so be it. Mm -hmm. It reminded me that because I can relate because our daughter has physical needs. We do lots of surgeries and it's very easy to begin relying mm -hmm. on your own strength. Absolutely. And so she was just such a good challenge for me and listening uh, and her mom. Her mom was <laughs> right. also a good challenge. I her mom. <laughs> and hey, this is what the Lord says. Mm -hmm. This is what his word says. Mm -hmm. We're going to believe in that and we're going to keep taking steps forward. And another thing she talked about that is something I use all the time is in the end when she was talking about this transplant and they had to sign that waiver mm. of he may not come out of this. And they had to take a minute and mm. say, wait a minute, are we going to sign this? She just said they knew they were flooded with a piece that they felt so calm. Mm -hmm. That's what she said. And my mother-in-law has always said, when you're making a decision and you pray about it, go with the peace. Mm -hmm. And that's how what it reminded me of is when I'm in a big decision and I sit and pray, where do I feel anxious? Where do I feel uncertain? Where is my mind spinning? And what makes me feel calm? Mm -hmm. What feels peaceful? That's Holy Spirit. That's his peace. And I think, you know, just her mom keeping her coming back to that verse, you know, that she referenced about no weapon formed against you will prevail. If you're wondering where that verse is, it's actually in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 54, 17. And, you know, in that chapter, it's a beautiful chapter as it's God really addressing Israel as his wife, which I mm -hmm. love that. Mm -hmm. But one of the commentaries that I read about that verse, I thought was so applicable to this, but it says, the Lord will not allow the weapon formed against his servants to prosper. Sometimes this means the Lord takes the weapon out of the hand of the enemy of his servants. Sometimes it means that God allows the weapon to strike, but brings a greater good out of it than the pain of the immediate blow. In allowing this, God 
God will not allow the weapon to prosper, but transforms the violent sword into a tool for building his kingdom. Wow. And I just thought that was so, yeah, I thought that was so good because she is now just giving all of the glory back to him, speaking truth into each one of us here at this table as far as like, you know, increasing our faith. And um, and so she is taking that weapon that could have been used to destroy her and her family and her Mm -hmm. marriage Mm -hmm. to really build his kingdom. I loved it. So we hope you've been encouraged that you are able to recognize around you, you know, where the enemy is coming against you and what weapons are coming against you that you may have not even realized were weapons. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for listening today. We would love for you to join us again, like Lindy mentioned at the beginning at our lunch in Birmingham. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come. We would love for, we would love to meet you. And so you can do that on our website at storytellerslab.org. The link is in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye.